0: Hi, I'm Chris Sarandon, and welcome to Cooking by Heart, where we revisit the vivid memories of the food we grew up with. <laughs> Very cool. I can't believe the tastes and the flavors. Lydia Bastianich. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Susan Sarandon. And the people in the stories attached to that time in our lives. I was the one, sort of like mommy Dearest. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today is Chef Carla Hall. Carla Hall first won over audiences when she competed on Bravo's Top Chef and Top Chef All-Stars, where she shared her philosophy to always cook with love. She believes food connects us all, and she strives to communicate this through her work, her cooking, and her daily interactions with others. Carla also spent seven years co-hosting ABC's Emmy Award-winning popular lifestyle series The Chew and is currently featured on the Food Network in shows such as Thanksgiving, Holiday, and Halloween Baking Championships, where she was a judge, and Worst Cooks in America. Her latest cookbook, Carla Hall's Soul Food, Every Day and Celebration, landed on annual best cookbook lists across the country and received an NAACP Image Awards nomination. Her debut picture book, Carla and the Christmas Cornbread, is a heartwarming tale loosely based on Hall's childhood growing up in Nashville, Tennessee. She also focuses as a board member in charitable work in organizations where she can make an impact advocating for children, such as 4-H, Pajama Program, Gen Youth, and Helen Keller International. And in addition, Carla volunteers her time to promote other nonprofit organizations, such as the James Beard Foundation, Feed America, the Jacques Pepin Foundation, and the Smithsonian Institutes, and many others. Her new MAX television series, debuting February 1st, is called Chasing Flavor, and it follows Carla around the world, tracking down the lineage of such dishes as ice cream, barbecue, and hot chicken. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very proud and thrilled to welcome Carla Hall to Cooking by Heart. Hi, Carla.
1: Hi, Chris. Man, I sound
0: busy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because everybody says that after their resume, and I think we all sort of feel that after a while, particularly if you've been doing this for you know a fair, fair amount of time, is that you have a life of work. And it, yes. it adds up, and it's important, and I think it's important to let people know what it is as well. My first question always has to do with Providence, where we're from, because it informs so much about the food we grew up with and the people and the stories. Uh, so you're from originally Nashville, yes?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I, I I say I'm from Nashville back when I was living in, if I was working in New York. I'm from Nashville. I live in DT, and I work in New York. Mm-hmm. So because it 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 gives people sort of a snapshot of who I am. Mm-hmm. But I always start with my formative years, which were in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Yeah, exactly. And your parents, tell tell me a little bit about your folks.
1: My mother, uh, my father passed away, but they're both from Nashville. And um, my grandparents were also from the South. So um, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, mm-hmm. so were they, the Southeast. Were
0: they part of a particular uh, migration at a particular time from the South to Nashville?
1: No. As a matter of fact, my... On my mother's side, my family left the South, and part of our family went to New York So the Great Migration. So they moved away from the South, and they were in New York. Um, But my grandmother and grandfather stayed.
0: So now, you you lost your father when you were fairly young?
1: No, no, just in the last three years. Oh, oh,
0: I see. So he's not Mm -hmm. around now. But at the time, your parents were together. You were growing up in Nashville. Who was the cook?
1: My parents got divorced when I was seven, but oh. my father was the cook. Really? My father was still the cook when they got divorced. So my... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell my, my my parents married twice and they got divorced twice. And so they remained friends because they had two daughters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, my mother was still getting food from my dad. My mother was still getting food from my grandmother. She didn't cook. She just, she made five things.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so let me just kind of get a picture of what it was like in that household. Your parents were divorced and then remarried and then divorced while you were relatively young. Yes. A whirlwind of, 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 of transition. Yeah. So, what was that like in terms of uh, what where the food was coming from? Your father was providing the food.
1: Well, my whenever my I remember my father being a good cook, yeah. And so, in my teenage years, I remember my mother saying, "Oh, let me see what George made," and she would go and, and get some food, and you know, we would you know we, we would go over there to eat. But um, my mother made, like I said, my mother made five things. Mm-hmm. They were. Um, meatloaf, um, a roast, like a pot roast, spaghetti, hamburger helper, mm-hmm. and um, breakfast, like pancakes. Right, right. And, well, I think she she also did the, you know, chicken in a bag, that type right. of thing. But on the weekends, we would go to my grandmother's house after church. She lived in Lebanon, Tennessee, which is about 30 miles outside of Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so we would have the Sunday supper at her house, and then all the leftovers would come home, mm. you know, which, which my mother would have for her lunches when she went. She's a nurse, so she would take those for her lunches. Um, and then we would, we would have that rotation of those five meals at night, mm-hmm. and then we would obviously eat lunch at school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: And what were the meals like at grandma's as opposed to the ones that you had at home? What were her specialties?
1: Smothered pork chops. She would do oh. um, like a country ham. She would have, you know, the macaroni and cheese and like all of the celebration dishes. And so it, when I was growing up, the um, celebration dishes were what I had at my grandmother's house. And during the week, we wouldn't have that food. So I may have had macaroni and cheese twice a month. Mm-hmm. And she would have, like, obviously, the not obviously, but the holiday meals would be at my grandmother's house. And she would have uh, refrigerated pickles and cornbread, which is my favorite. Oh. And, and by the way, she would make- you, you,
0: the recipe that you have in the, uh, in the children's book that you wrote, mm-hmm. I'm going to make that with my grandchildren.
1: Oh, yay. yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: It looks like yes. a wonderful recipe. And I'm always looking for one that doesn't mix flour and cornmeal. Yes. That's a real yeah. cornbread recipe. Mm-hmm. So I, that's now, next on my list.
1: It's not fat-free because it doesn't have flour. Well, so Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, and also the fat's important.
1: The fat is yeah. important. Fat is a flavor yeah. carrier. The, another thing that my grandmother would make that I love, that's very much a part of my childhood, was the, her five-flavor pound cake. Ooh. That was the... The pound cake that she would send us when we went to college. She would like um, send it to my cousins. She would wrap it in wax paper and then brown bag paper. You know, it would be uh, also saran wrap, Mm -hmm. foil. I mean, it would be multiple,
0: multiple (laughs) protective layers that hopefully would survive.
1: And then uh, what was so great about it, so when she would send it to college, you know, people were like, wow, what is that? Oh, my grandmother sent me a care package. And I'm like, look, it's going to take me a while to unwrap this. So
0: <laughs> you might as well be patient. No
1: one needs to be waiting. Right. You know, and that was my way of kicking people out of my room because I, as soon as I started to smell it, I knew I was getting to the, the final layer. Right. And I didn't want anybody <laughs> to be around.
0: Because <laughs> they'd have attacked it and it had been gone right away. That's what right. were the five flavors?
1: Coconut, lemon, vanilla, rum, and oh, almond, almond. Almond. Yes, yes. Almond. My grandmother used almond extract in so many things. Mm. So it's, it's really one of my favorite flavors. Oh,
0: me too. Me too. You know, that whole sort of Marzaban family of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. so then in your, in your house as you're growing up and amidst all this marital flux, right? What was it like around the dinner table? First of uh, all, siblings, yes?
1: Yes, I have a sister. I have a sister, and so when you think about it, so I, I grew up in 1960, I mean, I was born in 1964. Mm-hmm. So there was very little distraction of phones, and so we, um, we ate as a family. Um, the only time that we weren't eating at the dinner table was when um, we had a babysitter and we had TV trays Mm -hmm. and then that's when the chicken pot pie would come out. So everybody had right right? the chicken pot pie and the TV dinners. And uh, it was a special night when we got the hungry man dinner with the dessert in the center. Oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) I remember it well. Um, And so, but we, we ate around the dinner table and I remember no smacking hands up, you know, no elbows on the table. Mm. Uh, all of those things were part of growing up.
0: Yeah, yeah. But there, there was a sense of, and, and this is something that I, we don't necessarily talk about a lot on the show, but that I talk a lot about with my kids and their children. We have something, <laughs> when the kids come, the, the grandchildren come and stay at our house, and, and we have meals, and we do this fairly often. There's something called Papu Rules. Papu, I'm Papu. And the Papu rules uh-huh, are yes. essentially the ones that you just laid out. No elbows on the table, no feet on the table, because little oh kids, you know, the feet go up immediately, right?
1: <laughs> what? A foot on a table? You're allowed to get slapped, oh, yeah. like, into next week. whacked.
0: whacked. Um, no talking yeah. with your mouth full. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when somebody else is talking, don't interrupt. Let the person finish. Yeah. If you have something to say and you really need to say it, put your hand up, whatever. Uh, and there's something about that, the security of there's a line that you can't cross mm-hmm. in upbringing in general. You know, so many people in in more modern and I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to single out a particular generation, but I think everybody knows who I'm talking about, <laughs> where the children, uh, the parents are in fear of the children and uh, in your house and in my house. Uh, and it wasn't so much about children being seen and not heard it was about there being respect for everybody's boundaries including the grown-ups boundaries Yes, yes. you yes. know Absolutely. and and I'm really proud of my kids because they carry it through with their children and they're really great I'm'm I'm off track a little bit because I want to get back to you and your family. What was the conversation about?
1: Um, I remember us talking about, I mean, I remember conversations about music. I remember conversations about whatever happened during the day. Mm-hmm. I remember how uh, we would talk about shows. Oh, really? So the things that we were watching, like I loved Carol Burnett. Ah. I remember just loving yeah, Carol yeah. yeah. and Lucille Ball. Uh, like those kinds of things. And my dad, my dad loved music, you know, um, also, I like. I grew up. I grew up just loving games and um, and just different people and how things mm-hmm. work. And it could. It, the conversation could have even been. Um, like we had this man when my, when my parents were divorced. We would have a handyman come in, Mr. Mr. Nickel, and um, I I would just talk about the things that he did. Like, you know i would sit there and watch him fix mm-hmm. things i i just i was just engrossed and my husband even says now like you're 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 always pushing buttons yes because i want to see how yeah they yeah work.
0: curiosity and, you know. curiosity yes. one of the great great attributes that we all should carry throughout our lives no matter how old you are yeah. oh how wonderful so so then uh the conversations were far-ranging uh, you you mentioned music a couple of times. Was there a particular kind of music that your dad was was crazy about?
1: My dad loved jazz. My ah. mother loved R and B. I remember on Sundays, my mother would just be sitting there um, with albums all around her, just you know putting them in the mm-hmm. hi fi, you know playing playing music. Um, but my dad, my dad loved uh, like Miles ah. Davis, straight ahead yeah, yeah. jazz. He, he just loved it.
0: Age difference between you and your sister?
1: 17 months.
0: Close. Grew Mm -hmm. up close?
1: Yeah, we grew up close. Mm -hmm.
0: During that time, was there ever a time when, was was there any kind of family tradition of, aside from going to your grandparents, was there any time where you guys went out to dinner?
1: We did. We did. We went to, there was a place called Morrison's Cafe. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think it was a, I feel like we picked up our food. We went down a line and picked up our food and then trays. But I, I, I remember always wanting to go, uh, and my mother wasn't, my mother didn't like food. She eats for sustenance, yeah. which I don't even yeah, understand. Yeah. I, I, I don't yeah, understand. Yeah. So we didn't eat out as much as, I think other people did most of the eating out was on Saturdays after because we were always doing an activity. Mm-hmm. So dance classes, you know, uh, everything. Right. You know, my theater, all the things. Um, and so I remember eating out. Uh, I remember when having my first McDonald's. I remember having my first Wendy's. We didn't really do fast food. We didn't eat out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were really special. Um, I remember getting my um, first milkshake from McDonald's and being so excited (laughs) and and my mother saying, we have to wait till we get home. I'm like, but but I couldn't understand why we would go and pick up food and then we had to wait to get home (laughs) to eat it. I just, it did not make sense to me. And I said, well, I'm going to sneak and eat this and drink my milkshake. (laughs) And Tearing the paper off the straw and slowly pulling it out. Right. And then um I put it in. I'm you know, trying not to squeak Yeah. And then
0: This is you're in the I, back seat now, are you? I'm in the
1: back seat, right? I'm in the back. At this and they should have known what was up because I all I always wanted to sit in the front. Right. And so I'm like, I'll sit in the back. I'll sit in the back.
0: The better to hide me.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And then I went to suck the milkshake out, and somehow the top wasn't on. The next, I don't know what happened. The next thing I knew, I had milkshake all over me, I, and it was just—it was—it was a disaster. Right. And they're like, "Why couldn't you wait? Why couldn't well, you wait?"
0: Telling a child uh, with a treat, especially a new treat, something that's you know unique yeah. and 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 you know that you don't get every day at home. Oh, come on, come on. Yes. <laughs> now. Did you participate at all uh, with either of your parents when there was cooking in the preparation of the food?
1: Never, ever. Really? Never, a- ever. I didn't, even, I didn't even know that was Really? A thing. Never. A-
0: and yet, here you are.
1: <laughs> and yet, here I am. I mean, I never participated. I never cut a piece of lettuce. I never cut a tomato. I never. Ever.
0: Were you required Ever. to do scullery after dinner, uh, clean up, uh, whatever? Never. Never.
1: Never. And, you know, it's so funny when you're, as you're, as you're asking me these questions, like, oh my gosh, when did I wash a dish? I just, I just don't know. I, I don't, I, I, it sounds very no, spoiled. No. I never did it. I, I, it was my job to take out the trash. <laughs> I just remember.
0: <laughs> was... Well, that's part of the process, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. I never did it. I.
0: Yeah. And and interestingly, I, I mean, I'm sort of flashing back to to when I was in the restaurant because I was there uh, every other week for dinner because my dad would work different shifts. He'd work the morning shift one week in the afternoon, so he'd be at home for dinner one week, and then I'd eat at the restaurant one week. And then weekends, I worked at the restaurant, uh, and then in summers, I worked all summer, so that I was in a way totally the opposite in that I was involved. From the first, and when I was at home, my mom was, uh, my brother was much older, so I was like the, the, my mother's aide, so I was required to, to be along with every step. So mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't wait to get, get away from it when I right. graduated high school and went away to college. Uh, so it's, this is a polar opposite. You are like pristinely not involved, Right.
1: Pristinely, not, involved. not involved. Correct. Right. So where did it where did it start? How did it start? So when I went to college, um, I was very much dependent on um, the meal plan. I went to Howard yeah, yeah. University, and then my sister and I um, lived together my sophomore year, her junior year, and so we needed to cook. And there were a couple things that she knew how to make. Chicken Devon was one of them with um, cream of mushroom uh-huh. soup mixed with some sherry and a little bit of mm-hmm. cayenne and then you'd cook your chicken and you mix right. that and throw it in the oven with broccoli and and rice. So she that was her specialty meal and I feel like, did she cook the chicken or did we get some kind of cooked mm-hmm. chicken? I and just know. make the sauce. Um, right, yeah. right, yeah. the sauce that was from a right. can, Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which was ubiquitous around that time, anyway. Oh, mushroom soup was 100%. the you know the one sort of thing that you used either in a tuna casserole or in a whatever. So continue, continue. Yes,
1: yes. So th- all of those things we were doing, and um, and then you know, and I had a friend who cooked. Her name was Lori King, my best friend at college. And she, she cooked, she made like lamb roast and I'm like, oh my God, I'm absolutely going to be your friend because she was, she was making real meals and I didn't really cook then. I knew how to make breakfast.
0: Were you in a dorm?
1: I was in a dorm, but then my second year, I only stayed in a dorm one year. Right. So, you know, I didn't really need to cook. I needed to cook. Once you got out. Yeah. Two, three, four. And it was just very simple meals. I would do a lot of salads, um, but I still wanted good food. I still never really got into fast mm-hmm. food. It was just never really my thing.
0: Well, and given your your family history, there wasn't much fast food in your in your upbringing. Most of it was freshly made, yeah. one way or the other. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, even now, I don't really. It's still a treat if I if I have yeah. fast food. It's still kind of a treat. Well, is it a treat? But anyway, <laughs> depends um. on your
0: point of view, right?
1: <laughs> um, but what I, I I remember I had a very particular breakfast that I liked, and it was the Polish sausages. I would have scrambled eggs and um, cinnamon raisin toast and Tropicana Pure Premium, not from concentrated mm-hmm. orange juice. That that was like my my yep. jam.
0: What kielbasa?
1: Uh, yeah, kielbasa. Like, I love that, that sweet, spicy, savory, like, with the toast and yeah, everything, yeah. you know? I knew how to make grits because I grew up mm-hmm. on them. And... Um,
0: what was your way of making them? Or the family way?
1: Yeah, hot water. Hot water. And then you would just stir the grits in. And, um, and I got to tell you, and it comes up in, in the show, I, I ate sugar on my grits, sugar and butter, yep. because it was like a cereal. I mean... Oatmeal, cream of wheat, and grits. They were one of the same in terms of a breakfast cereal.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we did not eat them in a savory way. Mm-hmm. I didn't have it for dinner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my, in my dad's restaurant in West Virginia, grits always came with breakfast, mm-hmm. part of the, the mm-hmm. plate. If you got eggs and bacon exactly. and whatever, there was always grits on the plate.
1: And they couldn't be runny grits. They had, They couldn't be too thick and they couldn't mm-hmm. be runny. Um, that'd be just right. It was like the three bears with the grass, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> just, just right. You, you would uh, judge somebody. Another memory that I had as I'm thinking about it, so I, I talked about loving cornbread, and that was skillet cornbread that my grandmother mm-hmm. made, and, and she would never make it, by the way, until she saw us on the inside of the door. She she, she We were coming every Sunday right. at the same time. But she would never make that cornbread until we were on the inside of the house, and the, the cast iron skillet would um would be in the oven sort of heating mm-hmm. up and with the oil and then she'd have right when she saw it she would combine the wet ingredients with the dry ingredients and she would pour that cornbread into that skillet and it would uh. just roll up and i knew that i was going to be eating uh. in 20 minutes cuz i was like why can't we call her and <laughs> so that her? she's standing
0: there with the skillet when you walk in the door
1: right Mate, <laughs> done um but then sometimes she would make hot water cornbread. Have you had no,
0: that? No, no. Hot water
1: cornbread. So hot water cornbread is um, white cornmeal with hot water and a little bit of fat and some salt, and you would mix it up and make patties and fry ah. it. And that you would have with beans and greens, and you know it would be a totally right. different experience, almost like a very dense hash mm-hmm. puppy. But what I loved about it. You would see grannies, or my mom. My mom makes really great hot water corn grit Their fingerprints bread uh-huh. because it was just something very emotional yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah,
0: right? absolutely, absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. Those are the those are the memories that stick with me the most. The both the both the olfactory, the taste, and the visual. All three yes. things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What was the gradual sort of transition from what your your uh, major was in college, which was accounting. Yeah. Accounting. So, so that was occurring at the same time, but you were discovering as you went along that this was something that you were uh, adept
1: at. Uh, What food? Yeah. Uh, No, actually. So um, I love to eat. Like I, I, I loved food. I, I, I would eat a bag of oranges mm-hmm. if I could. I, I just ate, I don't look like it, but I just ate a lot. I loved food. And um, I remember thinking that I was interested in cooking and I invited some friends over to have um, soup. I think I was doing a, a vegetable soup, or tomato mm-hmm. soup. And I was living in Tampa, Florida, working at House. And they came over and I had used like four cans of tomato paste <laughs> in the soup. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a very interesting approach.
1: Not good. (laughs) Not good. They were like, oh, no, we're going out to eat. And I was like, what? I mean, it was so bad. It was so terrible. Um, But then I quit that job and I went to Paris to model. Yeah. Because I just hated my job. And I I was just like looking for the next thing. And being over there, there were these, again, very much like the Sunday suppers of my childhood, there was a woman named Elaine Evans, and she would invite all of these models over and she we would have this brunch. And so
0: did she have an agency there? Was she the agent?
1: No, she did hair oh. over there and she was a caretaker for someone else. And she happened to be from Memphis and she, and it turns out I'm telling this story to Dr. Jessica B. Harris, right. Mm-hmm. From um, high on the hog and all the, several books. Jessica said she was the one who taught Elaine how to cook. How crazy wow. is that? Wow. Yes. So here I am after Elaine has learned to cook. And she, um, we're, it's a collective, it was a collective um, event in terms of mm-hmm. people making things. And the models were saying, well, my mother makes macaroni and cheese like this. Well, my mother makes it like this. And I realized this dish that I've had at least twice a month my entire life, I had no idea how to make it, and I, mm. I, I just, and if anyone knows this about me, they know I'm competitive, and I'm competitive <laughs> with myself, not necessarily with other people, but I'm like, how is that I don't know how to make this thing that's very much a part of my life, and so I started going to the American bookstore to get cookbooks, and then I just started um, using recipes as like, you know, little projects, and mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit like crafting projects and a little bit just like just trying to figure things out.
0: At the same time, you're modeling. Yes. And traveling between Paris and?
1: Paris and New York at the time. And then I was going, then I went to England and I was going to England, back to New York. I did a little bit in um, Milan. And so I'm just traveling and picking up things. And now at this point in my life, i become a lot more curious about food.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And you're also being exposed to more different cuisines.
1: Exactly. Exactly. My first pizza of pizza in Milan where they are cutting it with scissors on the street. And I'm like, whoa, that is so cool,
0: you know? (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, I had no idea.
1: Yes, yes. Um, And this is around in the late 80s. And so, um, but while I was sort of getting these cookbooks, I started making food as an act of gratitude for people to allow me to sleep on their couch so it was it was sort of this exchange you know i was learning but also i was getting something and i wasn't paying rent Mm -hmm. and i just kept doing it i loved it and i think i just love how things worked out i i i just enjoyed the puzzle of cooking
0: interesting that you draw that parallel because you talked earlier about how games were important when you were younger and how competitive you were.
1: Yeah.
0: It leads me to to something that I wanted to ask you about because you had sort of along the way made your bones in the culinary world on cooking shows, Mm -hmm. competitive cooking shows. (laughs) Now, how did that come about?
1: Um, So the first show that I did was... Food fight. It wasn't Top Chef. I did a a show. It was two people cooking against, it was uh, a team, two teams cooking against each other, two teams of two. And I did it with a friend, Janice McLean. And we had an hour to cook. We were given, I think, $30. We had to drive to the store and (laughs) get our ingredients. And there was a camera person in the car and he was so afraid by the time we got back. So I was like, driving like a mad person. (laughs) Oh, I will get back and I'll use my $30. You know, and we ended up winning.
0: Was this a local television show?
1: It was a low. it was a- it was on Food Network, um, ah. you know, just ages ago, and I'm trying to think, it may have been in 05, 03, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Um and we won. And you know, so you know, I got bitten by the bug of just doing this. And then I didn't think about it. At the time I had a catering company and I mm-hmm. went to culinary school at thirty. Right so it was all sort of after the fact of this child who had never washed any dishes or um, you know cooked, and here yeah, I yeah, yeah.
0: and there you are,
1: and here, I, right
0: in the in the cauldron.
1: In the in the cauldron, you know, I had this lunch delivery service that that started as a fluke when I got back from Europe, and um, I was making some food for my sister's baby shower and a friend couldn't come a friend who was living in paris at the time when we were going to elaine's couldn't come Mm -hmm. and i said well i'll just bring you some food tomorrow and she's like yeah that's great because there's nothing to eat around here and you know my brain like it's like well if you don't have anything to eat that means all the other people around you don't have anything to eat that would be Mm a really cool business but you know that was all i said the next morning i got up and I'm i'm staying with my sister and her husband and my brother in law had eaten all the food. I'm like, oh no, I promised Patrice that I would take her all this food. So I ran around and I made a bunch of things that were similar to, I made like a quiche and I made the coronation chicken salad, which I learned in London, which is a chicken salad with curry and almonds and mm. grapes and um, a cold chicken salad. Then I, I made um, some biscuits. I did biscuits with smoked turkey and I think a lemon blueberry bread. So I'm running around making these things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what am I going to put this in? And, and my sister had this picnic basket. So I threw everything, I cut everything up. So now I have lots of food. So I said, well, let me cut it up and just give it to her coworkers. So I put everything in baggies and I get there and she introduces me. So, well, this is my friend, Carla. She has a lunch delivery service. And I'm like, Oh, what's the <laughs> name of it? And I'm like, um, I looked down at the basket. I looked back up. It literally was two seconds. I said the lunch basket. And then I'm doling out this food. And I, when are you going to come back? I had a business. And Jesus. i like, when are you coming back? And I said, tomorrow. And so within a week, I had seven clients and I just went door to door, hair salons, doctor's offices, you know, barber shops. And within mm-hmm. two weeks, I had 14 and I did that for five years. Um, and I became the lunch lady. And then after those five years of working, when I tell you I worked every single day, oh, five I believe years, it. Yep. Um, then I went to culinary school. So mm-hmm. at that point, I had the practical knowledge, but I didn't have the theory because I didn't know why things worked. Yeah. I was just yeah. doing it. Yeah.
0: The technique. Mm-hmm. So then you end up finishing culinary school. Then you start working as a what? First, a, 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 a an apprentice in a kitchen, or not an yeah, apprentice? Yeah, I was. A,
1: well, I was an intern, and before I finished my internship, they had promoted me to. Uh, I was working at a restaurant. They had promoted me to sous chef, uh, and I think it was which my is work a jump. Ethic. Yeah, it was a huge jump. Because so I went Big from jump. making six dollars and thirty eight cents an hour to $13 and 80 cents. And for me, I needed the cash because also you have to understand I was a career changer. So at this point I'm almost 31 years old. I, I had basically poo pooed all of my back, all of the knowledge and making a regular salary at an accounting Mm -hmm. firm for your
0: CPA. Forget about it. Let's just move. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was good. It was good. And I, and I was great with people. You know, and so I did that and then I went to another restaurant and and then a, a private social club and...
0: Where you were an executive chef, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How does uh, uh, Top Chef happen?
1: So Top Chef, at this point, I am, I have my own catering company and I have uh, about four people working with me and a friend um, said, you know, you should do that show, Top Chef. This is around season three three. And I never seen it before. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, um, you know, I happened to be watching this show binge, you know, when they binge the, all the shows, you know, for a new season. So I happened to be binging it before they aired season four. And I go into work one day. It was a long day catering. And my sous chef said, Oh, I had a dream. You were on top chef. And I was like, oh, ah, 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 ah. Verlette was talking about that. Another, another cook was talking about that. And then when I got home, there was a message saying that they were calling from Top Chef, and I thought it was a crank call, you know. So I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna respond because they're trying to get me. <laughs> yeah, right. And then I realized I had a message on my cell phone and I had a message at home, and so I called them back, and they, they thought it was funny. I said, I wasn't gonna call you back. I thought it was a crank call, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so they thought that was funny, and it turned out that one of the organizations that I was um, a part of, Les Dames d'Escoffier, Catherine Newell Smith, who was the president, had been approached about, do you know any women who um, cook that you could you know, recommend? And she yeah. recommended me. I didn't know that until I approached her about doing a referral and said, of course, I gave them my name, I gave, I gave them your name. I had no idea. So it's just funny how this all works and everything ties together. So um, yeah, and then I I went for the casting, and you know a couple other funny stories happened, and, and
0: there and you- the rest is the rest is history.
1: Yeah, I was forty four when I did that show.
0: Wow. Now this this brings to mind something that has come up recently in my mind because I've had this conversation, for instance, with my son, who, as I mentioned to you earlier, is a trained chef, and that is that when he watches sometimes the competition shows. Mm-hmm is is somewhat put off because it is a competition and, and it's almost as if for instance the only way I can make an analogy is for instance I just watched the golden Globes last night okay mm-hmm. where it's about winning awards for something that's really a cooperative effort uh, but the award itself is about winning against quote unquote the people who do the same thing that you do right. okay hmm now, I, I'm even more uh, aware of it now because I do most of the everyday cooking in, at home. And I just had a knee surgery, so I'm out. And my wife is is doing the cooking for the last couple of weeks uh, because I can't shop. I can, you know, I can get in the car. But anyway, the, the, no gory details. But the, it, it leads me back to this whole idea of did it change your. Your feeling about cooking in any way when you were in a competition with other people, rather than being in a kitchen where you are the arbiter of whatever it is that is you're being you're, you're being given basically commands. Here are the ingredients. This is what you have to do. This is the time period.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's hard, but also for me now you're talking to someone who um, ultimately with the catering company um, I am just. I am borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. I'm running like four, I'm trying to pay four other people, trying mm-hmm. to, you know, um, yeah. manage this whole thing. And so when I did Top Chef, as scary as it was, I'm like, I just have to think about one dish at a time. Mm. This is awesome. I mean, this is- <laughs> I, nobody can call me. I am not stirring a pot on the phone with a creditor and doing all these other things and managing other people. I am thinking about one dish at a time.
0: How interesting. A relief in a way.
1: Yes. I mean, because also, I mean, I'm, I'm holding everything together. And so when I left them, I had to make the decision of, you know, I may come out of this and not have a business. I'm mm-hmm. leaving my business to these people. I'm like, you know what? You guys are going to sink or swim. It's up to you.
0: Yeah. I have to go do this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I didn't think I, didn't think I was going to be doing it. I, I remember when they called me, I just wanted to have the experience of applying. Uh, that's as far as I was going to yeah. go. That, yeah. and, and then when they called me, they said, are you somewhere we can talk? And I, I looked at all the people in front of me and I turned, put my back to a corner. And I'm like, okay, yes. Go ahead. <laughs> so I, I was shocked. I, I was so shocked. And I don't think, I mean, at 44 I was the oldest contestant. I don't think I was supposed to sort of really? make it that far down the road. Yeah.
0: Huh. How interesting. I'm fascinated. Fascinated and uh uh so interested in this upcoming show that you have on uh HBO Max. It's called Max now. Yeah called Chasing Flavor. Can you tell us about what Chasing Flavor is uh, endeavoring to do and what you've been spending the last couple of years uh, doing?
1: Yes. So it is a story. It is a show about giving the cultures that had a hand in a particular dish credit. Because a lot of times we are looking at the end dish and we're like, I like this. And we don't know how many iterations and how many cultures that dish cultural hands that that, has that, passed through. that that has passed through and brought yep. that dish to us and so the show is about if you don't know the culture you really don't know the dish and one of the things that you will see on social media you, you post a picture and people will send their response recipe question mark I I'm not gonna give you a recipe without a story you you mm. got even though you're on social media you got to get some head notes. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it Absolutely. makes a
1: difference. It, it makes it like, who are the people? And, and the story is all about you can't separate the people and the culture from the food. Yeah. And it's to get people sort of thinking about it, it. It comes in a package. I think in this country, we become so enamored with a dish, but we don't think about the people who had a hand in that or, 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 or what those ingredients were um and how things have changed and this show came about uh a conversation that i had at a dinner party and i was talking about how when i'm in a uh like a, in a car service somebody picks me up and they're from another country mm-hmm. instead of saying how are you i'm like oh tell me like what foods you know you miss from home or mm-hmm. what do you eat at home
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: I watched their faces completely change. Light up. Yes, yeah. because it is about them as a person and their food, their culture, yep. you know?
0: Yes, absolutely. What were the sources that you followed in terms of, for instance, all right, from what I saw from the, the material that uh, you guys sent me, uh, is the first show Ice Cream?
1: The first show is Ice Cream, yes.
0: So how do you follow the life of ice cream.
1: So, you know, it's it's Or how does one... So we start, we start, and not to give a whole thing away, but no, we no, start with where that, we yeah. are now, you know? Right. And, and going to a particular city where things are, where, where trends are started, right? And so we go to that city because it, it's, it's, I mean, New York. I mean, if it, if it happens here, it happens, you know, you can, if yes. you can make it here, you can happen. You can make it anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. And so, where you they will take a thing and amp it up to something that's big, and then it's like, well, let's take a step back. Let's like, where did ice cream go before it went to New York? You know, historically, mm-hmm. and then we get to a point where, and then we talk about the history there, and then we're like, okay, where do we go now? Do we go? You could go several places. You go to France. You could go to Italy, and we make a choice. So it's not the definitive route. It's like we made a choice to mm-hmm. go to a particular place. And then we go back even farther where ice cream is showing up, where it was a kind of a mistake and it became a thing, but it <laughs> yep. was a culinary mistake. Yep. And so when we're going back and I'm, I'm surprised at that mistake, I'm like, wow, it's something I've never seen before in my life. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's very curious about things and people and and culture, I'm like, wow, tell me more, right? Yep. Every episode is sort of uncovering this journey that we decided to take. And what I'm hoping is that people will feel like they are with me. Like I am turning and asking them to be on, over my shoulder, looking at me go through this journey.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're not necessarily then following something in a definitive kind of family tree way. Correct. As you are, you're sort of following the tastes and the smells as they travel from country to country in total, you're telling a story. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Which fascinates the hell out of me. And I can't wait for the show. I can't wait.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, ah, it's, it's, it's so great. And it was so fun. And I, and I think that I want, for me, the show is successful is if the show will be successful. If when you finish watching it, you want that thing. You're yeah. like, I have to have ice cream, or I have to have dondurma, or I have to have this right. thing that I just saw.
0: And also, it allows the audience to become part of the story.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Which is back to one of the things that you talk about with the way that you think food is important, and that is that it's a community that's created as a result of uh, interest in the people and the stories about that mm-hmm. about that food. Yes. Well... I'm going to conclude us today with a question, okay? Also, by the way, I'm going to ask you for a recipe because all of my guests give me a recipe that I put in on my website uh, with a little story introducing it, which is always the way. Um, But the one question that I always ask everybody at the end of of the show is if there is a particular dish that is evoked... When you savor something, when you taste something, when you um, uh, experience something that takes you back to your childhood, a smell or a, a, a moment, what would that be?
1: You know, it, as you are asking the question, I'm like, oh, it's this. And they're like, no, no. You said takes you back to my childhood. I saw
0: childhood. the flood of memories yeah, on, the on your blood, face. Literally yeah, yeah. the flood
1: of memories. Yeah. It would be meatloaf. Ah. And I didn't realize this about myself. Um, I was at the place in New York um, at a restaurant called The Marshall, and they have this amazing meatloaf where they grind the meat, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And um, I had this meatloaf sandwich, and I took a bite, and I started laughing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so good, and I want to tell you (laughs) all I'm not sharing it. And I I, (laughs) I, I started laughing because it was just so good, and then I started crying. Uh, because it reminds me and my mother will say she doesn't cook but it is her meatloaf that she made that is such a visceral food memory for me Yeah. Um, and even though she says she doesn't cook she gave that to me that was her gift to me from my childhood
0: Ah, you took me back as well (laughs) and with that With that, Carla Hall, I thank you so much for being a guest on Cooking By Heart, for reliving some of these wonderful memories that you've had, and that you make part of what you exude on all of your shows, which is this is a community that we all share. Thank you so much, Carla Hall, for being on Cooking By Heart.
1: This was wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: My pleasure.